Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. I think, I think maybe, <laughs> uh, hello everybody, we have, we have signal now, I guess, um, Only now we're not we're not doing we're not doing Facebook I guess right now because Facebook decided that we weren't transmitting anymore and it doesn't want to connect anymore. But we are broadcasting live to to Odyssey and YouTube. This is the H two O podcast. My name is Jason Hunt, and I'm Timothy Harvey. The Stone Martin Weasels. The Stone Martin Weasels have an affinity for Mercedes cars. And this is the this is the story uh, where they 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 have a tendency to chew on the hoses and the wires and the such, and they particularly are taken with the Mercedes car more than anything mm-hmm. else, because Stone Martin Weasels are German, and I guess it's only fitting since we're talking about a German filmmaker tonight, and we're having problems with our broadcast. That diminished the quality of our of our of our output here. <laughs> I will say though, the Stone Martin Weasels yes. are much more fun to look at <laughs> than most Huey Bowl films. <clears throat> now, I do want to I do want to make a little warning here. Huey Bowl has more than once reacted poorly to negative comments about his work online. Yes, he has. So, this while in 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 all fairness and warning, <laughs> we've got some criticisms, and so okay. So, what prompted this? For those of you who are are not aware, the Cannes Film Festival has been going on, and coming out of that is the news that the German filmmaker Uwe Bull. Plans to return to filmmaking with a film called Ness. Now, this is not a this is not a science fiction. This is not a genre picture. This is going to be a, a, a film based on a case from federal agent Elliot Ness. You know him from the Untouchables and the Al Capone case. Uh, but he had another case in Cleveland later in his career, and that's the subject of this particular movie. That Bull plans to make for twenty-five million dollars, and when this headline popped across the transom last week, I had to do a double take. I was like, "Man, I haven't heard that name in a while. He's been he's been retired. He's been gone." And well, and he's, he's been having apparently a successful uh, bit of a run uh, owning a restaurant. Yes. Yes, and yes. from what I hear, it's, I mean, it's gotten great reviews. He's, he's doing very well with that restaurant from what I understand. And, uh, it's, a, it's up in Canada and, uh, it's actually gotten, you know, uh, pretty high ratings <laughs> and he's been, it's, it's been successful for him and, and, and good great. for him. That's fantastic. Yeah. German food and, and, you know, good, a good German restaurant, um, is a thing to, to definitely enjoy. So, yes. I, I congratulate him on his success. 
But as a filmmaker... Okay, now look. It, it's an acquired <clears throat> taste, I guess. So as, as both Jason and I, I'm sure those of you who, who followed along with us for over the years, know that we have made independent films, that we have, we have made films with no money or very little money or a handful of money or occasionally something resembling a budget if you look at it just the right angle. Yeah. And some of the films, I think we're, we, we, we've made films together. We've made films separately. We've made some stuff that we're proud of. We've made some stuff that we're kind of going, yeah, you know, I was young. Mistakes yeah. were made. Um, at least nobody died. And, uh, you know, there's so we are familiar with with the life of the independent filmmaker. And there are friends of ours who friends and colleagues who some of them make really fantastic pictures they they do great work there we know some amazing cinematographers we know some amazing directors writers editors folks who go out there and they do the job all the time yeah some doing this professionally some doing it just for the love of it <laughs> we've all got at least one film under our belt yeah Dave, dave's got a good point here even after making the films we're still friends you know, I don't think we ever have have come to, to any kind of massive disagreement when we were making films. It's usually been yeah. other things that we've disagreed. Uh, right. About, well, and but... and I think that that's that's something that. Um, and hello, Chris. Yeah, film filmmaking is a way to find out if you ever want to talk to somebody again. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and and I am I am very pleased to say that in over the the films that i've made uh there are only two people out of those productions eh, two and a half i'd have to be convinced on one on, on the, the half um that i would never in a million years work with again yeah. and one of them i think um I think they've got their life back in line. I don't think they're doing anything resembling the film side of things anymore, but, and I wish them nothing but the best, but then my, my experience with them on my film set said, we're never going to work together again. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I had a, I had a film that I worked on in college in 90, 91 thereabouts. It was uh, it was a feature film and it starred Jackson Bostwick. Our, our, mm -hmm. our Captain Marvel from the CBS Saturday morning stuff. It was a mm -hmm. rugby story. He was a rugby coach. And it was written and produced by a gentleman who was a Delta Airlines pilot by trade. And he had taken the New York film school weekend course and knew everything about making movies. And it was an experience. Let me say that. <laughs> so. I'm I, I'm pleased to say that of, of the people that I worked with on film sets, there there was a PA who I will never have back on a set, mm. and and they're long gone from the Kansas City market, so I don't need to worry about it. Uh, but they were completely they were just a disaster. Um, and there was an, there's an actor uh, whose behavior on set professional level professionalism was non-existent and they're the ones that i hear their life has gotten better and, and i wish them nothing but the best and there's a producer 
um, that I worked with once who, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd rather not. But in terms of in terms of of the folks that that came out and, and worked beside me and with me and and you know whether I've been behind the camera or in front of the camera or directing acting whatever I've, I've overall had a really great experience with making movies i understand the love of it sure and i think in fairness to yui bull he seems to be passionate about movies it's funny you should say that because i've got here a couple of articles from the same website by the same writer, a year and a half apart. The first article, this is from the site called ThatShelf.com. The first article by Eric Weiss, June 10th of 2015, the mm -hmm. headline, The Delusional Arrogance of Uwe Boll. Mm-hmm. And it goes on to talk about how he's not a he's not a good director and looks at all of his career and you know the fact that he's he's very full of himself he's very self assured he's very confident <clears throat> and he you know got into doing video game movies and they perform terribly and nobody wants to see any of these things and eventually he has he has. Uh, lost enough credibility with investors that now they don't they want to they don't want to put any money into it anymore and and you know he's he's off doing his own thing now. Fast forward a year and a half to October of 2016. Same website, same writer. The headline: The Passion of Uwe Boll. Are you talking about you know he, he's a passionate filmmaker? Now this guy, Eric Weiss, has actually had a chance to interview Uwe mm. Boll. And it's interesting how his, how his perspective has changed on Boll as a filmmaker. Because now, now there's been interaction. Now there's mm. been back and forth. I've actually talked to this guy. And maybe he's doing this to avoid the boxing ring. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Bull's still doing that kind of thing. Uh, I would hope not. Um, For those who because don't quite know. frankly, I, I'm, I have, I have boxed once in my life and it was a very clear experience that, that yeah. I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> uh, and, and I wasn't even, I, I didn't even get like, you know, punched in the face or anything. I'm just like, yeah, this 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 seems like a, a recipe for disaster. Uh, but you know, we uh, what was it in junior high when when we did the the boxing as part of PE class? I, I don't know if you did it or not. We had we had the boxing gloves and we had the head the head headgear and sure, stuff to yeah, make sure yeah, we yeah. didn't get a concussion or anything. And you know, get in the ring and and go at it. But I, it's probably. I don't know. It's probably too much toxic masculinity now. It's it's not in the in the PE class. Oh, I, I, I think there's 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 <laughs> blood sports will always have a place, and boxing kind of falls into that category. Now, I had a friend of mine in, in college who, or actually right after college, uh, who was into boxing, and they were like, "You ever done this before?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> uh, 
I try very hard to avoid getting slugged by anybody for any reason. And Some, um, somehow I have I have a great deal of difficulty picturing you in any kind of fisticuffs situation. Look, folks, let's be very, very clear. If the opportunity arises for me to be in some sort of fight, I am going to cheat all over the place because <laughs> there are no rules. That's right. Uh, but the, the the yeah no. So if you're not familiar with the with the boxing reference, um, he has Bull has challenged people to boxing matches. Um, <sighs> and actually, was the subject of a documentary called Raging Bull. Where right, they, where right. they documented this, they actually went uh, and he, filmed he, all of this. He uh, uh, he challenged Michael Bay to a boxing match at one point. <laughs> uh, Mike, uh, Michael Bay's response was like, "I just heard of this guy. I don't even know. I heard, I didn't know who this guy was till last week." And um, which, of course, you know, only makes it worse. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the. Uh, uh, MS has got a question. Wasn't this guy only making movies to write them off and make money off the losses? Um, I don't so, uh, think not that's quite. entirely so, the so, case. Yeah, so the way the German film industry works, I don't think it. I don't think this applies anymore. I think. I think. The, so for a long time, if you're not familiar with this, a long time there was this this idea, and it's still going on, but it's it's run into a lot of issues which is that if you give tax breaks to a film production or a studio or whatever to come shoot in your city, state, whatever, and actually is it still going on? You have states like Georgia does this. Yeah. And, and the, idea, the idea being that um, you're going to have, uh, you'll bring more money into the community than goes out through the tax breaks. And the way and, the, tax, the way the tax breaks work is at, depending based on how much money you spend in a particular area in the state. Like say if you come in, you bring in a production to Kansas City, you're going to shoot in Missouri, you get the tax break. I mean, there's not a whole lot in terms of film incentives now, but let's say there's the 35 percent tax incentive that was there right. for a while, which basically says that all of the money that you spend 35% of that gets credited back to you in the form of uh, a, a, a rebate, if you will, off of the taxes that you have to spend in the state. Mm -hmm. And this stuff gets to be a commodity. So, you know, you have a film production that comes in and let's say they, they, have, a, they have a budget, but they don't spend as much as they thought they would or, you know, they spent more than they did. And they have they have a, an overage, I guess you could right. say. This stuff can actually be bartered. They can actually buy and sell some of the rebate stuff that they, you know, to other productions, depending on how much they use and how much they need and all right. of that. So it becomes this thing. And some states have gone done away with it because of various fraudulent activity state of uh, iowa the state yeah. of iowa had a very very robust film tax credit system which was very very uh fraudulently taken advantage of and they shut the whole thing down yeah didn't um, that happen so, in michigan so, too i think may it might in have michigan? been the, the the thing is is that this is something that works in some circumstances and doesn't in others yeah. um the the debate as to whether or not these are a good thing 
um, is still going on. And because for some places, this this th- this stuff has worked. I think one and, of the biggest one of the biggest problems is that the regular regular normal everyday people who are not part of the industry don't understand it uh, because it's not like the the t- was it the tiffs or the 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 tax free zones or right, right, the right. you know the all all of the different boondoggles that they get for you know bringing in businesses. It's a different thing than that. And people don't mm-hmm. quite understand how the film tax incentives work. And whenever I hear anybody trying to explain it, they never it's, quite explain it clearly. I was like, no, it's a rebate. It's, I mean, it's not that hard to explain. Well, and but, I think that, I think that there, there are definitely places where it has been a productive relationship between studios and the state or the city and there, but, but it is also something that comes down to economics is if it works, Mm -hmm. it keeps going on. If it doesn't work, the next, uh, the next legislature um, that's going to come in, is going to sit there and say, this didn't work and they're going to stop it. Yeah. And that's just how, that's how this stuff happens. So, um, so Germany had its own set of uh, set of rules. And it was, I think, if, if I if I remember right, and someone can correct me, it was tax wise, it was financially beneficial to people for people to invest in Bulls films, whether they made money or not. Um, because I think if they if they lost money, then the folks who invested in them got some sort of tax break. So, or if they made money, then they made money, right? So right. it was a win-win situation. And I think that changed because toward the end of his, the first part of his film career, <laughs> um, he was not able to get funding for uh, projects. And in fact, he rather infamously, and I think it's still up there, um, rather infamously had a, you know, I'm taking my, my toys and going home video. Yeah. It's still um, on which YouTube. is the polite way of saying what he said. Right. Um, and that actually got him more views, I think for that video <laughs> than he got for a lot of his films. Um, because again, well, he's a passionate fellow. You he, also, you also have yeah, the, the, I think two different Kickstarter campaigns that he tried to raise money for the thing a- after, cause the the sequence of events were uh, you know make the video game movies, get the bad reviews, lose money, make another one, same thing. And you cycle through you know one too many times, and then the investors sit there and go, you know what, this isn't working. And so when the investors dried up, he turned right. to Kickstarter and tried to raise money for his own projects that way, and that didn't go well. <clears throat> And 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 to be fair, a couple of things we have to be fair here. It, it's, it's not just a Uwe Boll sucks. Um, yeah, no, we're not going to say that. The the fact of the matter is is that there are there are worse filmmakers out there, <laughs> um, and quite you know we 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 celebrate. We, in many ways, we celebrate Ed Wood. He's so bad, he's good, right? I right. mean, he's become the, he's he's very much become a cult figure, and and there's been become this sort of appreciation for the fact that this is a guy you know this was a guy who was not suited 
for making movies in any way, shape, or form, and yet was so passionate about it and kept doing it, and they were just terrible. Well, they got and Boris yet, Karloff in one. At the very end of his career. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> well, uh, and, well, and, and, and Uwe Boll has been called the German, you know, the German version of Ed Wood. Well, and interestingly enough, at the very toward toward the end, so the Rampage films. Um, although, interestingly enough, he threw a fit when um, the Rocks um, movie Rampage came right. out. Uh, he was very upset that it shared a name, even though it was based on a video yeah. game that predated. Anyway, um, <laughs> so he the Rampage films. Which are not based uh, on video games. No, but they're... Um, they have a point. They, they, have, there's, there's a mess, they have a message, right? And whether or not you agree with the message, the fact is, is that there's a message to these movies, and yeah. so much so that they've actually been three of them. And they were some of the best-rated of his career, now, not great ratings, no. not great praise, no. um, but like, you know, uh, uh, if you were to look at on a 10 point scale, it's like 6.5 and and which is not, you know, there, there are blockbuster movies that have ratings in that range. And so it's we're, we're talking about first... Zack Snyder not too long ago about and, 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 and intent versus results. Yeah. And and Bull's rampage, the story that he's, you know, the the whole kind of, I don't know, it's it's a muddled mess. If you, and I've I, I've not watched them. If you look at uh, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it looks like that's his highest rated one is Rampage. It's got a fifty percent score on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, critics got fifty percent. All right. Yeah. So, the thing yeah. is, is that I mean, it's it's so. <sighs> The first part of his career, and the thing that really made him the reputation that he had, has, um, I know this is going to come as a surprise to you folks at home, but it's really, really hard to get a good video game movie made. I know that you're sitting here going, but Tim, there are so many great video game movie adaptations and i know this is very true yes wait no there aren't but <laughs> uh there's there's a sliding scale right so you got sonic over here you know big blockbusters doing fine yep you <clears throat> you've got your silent hills um you've got uh and yeah and oh, yes dude. christopher he did yeah. do blubberella <laughs> you know um uh You've got, and of course, on over on this end, you've got things like Mario Brothers, right? Yeah. And below Mario Brothers, <laughs> you have films like House of the Dead. And I think in many ways, this, this was the one that really brought, uh, uh, it was pretty much his first video game adaptation film. He went right into doing making Alone in the Dark and Blood Rain the following year. Yeah. Um, and I played Alone in the Dark. I own, I, it's somewhere in this apartment. I've got the game. 
Um, and I played House of the Dead. It was a you know one of the the cabinet games with the gun, the oh, light right, gun, right. and you're shooting, okay. right? Yeah. Um, let me let me just give, if you're not if you've never seen if you've never seen House of the Dead, <laughs> I can't say I recommend it, but I will tell you this: Jurgen Prochnow is in House of the Dead because I think maybe he had. Uh, a car payment he needed to make or something, but it's usually um, how that works. Yeah. Uh, Clint Howard is in uh, House of the Dead. Clint Howard is in everything. But um, uh, Jurgen Prochnow plays the captain of a fishing boat. His name is Captain Kirk. <laughs> Kirk is That's a German name. The level of cleverness that this film rises to. <laughs> um, if you've ever played the game House of the Dead, the film has nothing to do with the game. Aside from the name and there being zombies, and there's a shootout scene that is essentially... Well, okay, to be fair, does House of the Dead, the video game, actually have a story, though? You're going through a house and you're shooting zombies. I mean, there's a certain amount of simplicity to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's full of dumb, young, pretty people who die terribly and take off their tops if they're if they're an attractive young woman um, or get bit and die terribly if they're an attractive young man. And the ending is, you know, designed to set up a sequel. Sure. Like you do. You no, know, it's it's a really bad movie. It's it's but it's not. Look, there are a lot of bad movies out there. It is not the worst video game adaptation film that you will probably ever see in your life. That would be the film that followed it, which would be Alone in the Dark, starring <laughs> Christian Slater. Now, these are films that came out in 2003 and 2005, all right? right. So we're talking, it was a, diff it was a different time. Right. And and he was still fairly early in his film career. The money was there. You hire these folks. They show up. They do the paycheck. Um, but if you've ever played Alone in the Dark, there is a plot. Uh, there's a certain mythology that goes with the story. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, there's a character named Edward Carnby, who is the main character of the video game. He's played by Christian Slater. And there's a title alone in the dark and that's what they have in common and video game fans you may also have noticed that video game fans like fan many fandoms tend to be passionate about the games they like no and when someone comes along and they make a movie adaptation of the game that you like hmm. i so mean i remember See, because Blood Rain has, you know, the all, all the Blood Rain movies have made their way to the Sci-Fi Channel. And that's where oh, yeah. I uh -huh. first saw... Uh, With all the nudity the, cut out. The name, yeah. But I have to I have to sit and, and think to myself because I don't think that I've actually sat and watched an Uwe Boll movie all the way through. I think I've seen clips and various different pieces of a Blood Rain movie. Um, and I think I was peripherally in, kind of sort of interested in it 
because Christiana Locken was in the first one. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. But, you know, these were, you know, what was it, 2005 was the first one. The second one was 2007. So that would have been after after my kid was born. So, you know, dad duties being what they were and, and stuff with... There was a lot of stuff that I missed after well, I got married and after, you know, after becoming a dad and you know, all these different things. But... Uh, and, and not to not to blame the kid for missing blood rain, but you well, know, yeah. Like, I mean, quite frankly, that, that's a, that's a right? thank you. Yeah. Actually, that's yeah. where you thank your child yeah. for. Uh, well, so I did watch these movies, and and uh, so how I figured you had. So yeah. I actually saw Alone in the Dark first. I, th- I if if memory serves, and I was like, I what? Why would you? Why would you do this? Why would the, this is a terrible adaptation? This is okay, whatever. Yeah. And then, then I, I saw there was House of the Dead, and I'm like, surely not. <laughs> and it was just as bad. And then Blood Rain, and I'm like, okay, hang on, you can't go three for three and just have me all. Oh, <laughs> oh, you can. <laughs> um, yes. So, Postal, loosely based on the game. Uh, and that's and that's really the thing is that apparently these scripts that would that Bull would get from actual writers apparently often held pretty closely to the source material or at least closer than the finished product. He would then either have someone else rewrite them. Um, I believe he described uh, Alone in the Dark. Uh, one of the problems with the script was that there weren't enough car chases. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think there's a car chase in the game. You know, I'm looking um, through I'm looking through the cast of Postal. And I see Dave Foley, I see Vern Troyer, I see J.K. Simmons, mm-hmm. Eric Avari, Michael Pere. Oh, oh, in the name of the king, which is also loosely based on a game. Um <laughs> Jason Statham, Claire yeah. Forlani, Lily Sobeski, John Rice Davies, <laughs> Ron Perlman. Ray Liotta, Burt Reynolds. All of them needed to pay a pay a house payment. They had somebody wanted had to buy a, house a boat. Payment. I mean, well, and, you know, it's I, funny because you you sit there and you you think about uh, you know recently we had uh, the interviews that um, Nicholas Cage did about some of the films that he's done over the years, and he sat there and said I had bills to pay, and he sat there and says. Uh, I I this is some of my best work. You know, it was it was a it was a work. Uh, you know, it was a it was an acting workshop. He he looked at everything that he's done as opportunities to experiment with new things and try new techniques and do do different things. And I have to wonder the the bad films, the ones that we always look at and go, oh, that's just really terrible. There, there are sometimes little nuggets buried deep in the muck that you can sit there and you go, this, this piece is not bad, whether it's a performance or a cinematography or something like that. You know, the thing, the thing is, is that, that actors take jobs for a lot of reasons. They take jobs for the, they love the script. 
They take jobs because the contractor of the studio says they're going to take the job. Yeah. They take jobs because they need the money. They take jobs because it's a friend. Every, they've all got their reasons. Burt Reynolds was in this movie because he was nobody had ever asked him to play a king in a fantasy film before. <laughs> when was the opportunity going to come again? Ray Liotta is in that movie because nobody ever said, I need an evil sorcerer. Get me Ray Liotta. Right. <laughs> the, the opportunity to play these parts, if if somebody like Huey Bull comes along and if they've got a budget and they're going to pay you and they get, and you get to you get to be the king in a fantasy film, you know what? You know the other part of that too is how many how many times does uh, a, an actor or an actress who generally does the straight legit work. And, and and I don't mean uh, nah, let, let me let me recharacterize that the 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 more mainstream work right uh, yeah, yeah they how how often do they get the opportunity to actually just chew the scenery and go to town with a with a part because oh, yeah. I mean, you know, nine, nine times out of ten you're doing a you're doing a a, a movie. And you're inside a certain emotional range because we're we're playing normal people, mm-hmm. as opposed to going really over the top and and getting you know hyperbolic and and melodramatic, or as we say in some parts, melodrama. So, you know, you don't get you don't get that many opportunities to do that. I mean, look at the you know the the Nick Cage movie where he's playing Nick Cage. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there there's something to be said and and I I I once got asked to play basically I like you know, there was no mustache twirling, but it was essentially a mustache twirling villain. And I even got to do the whole maniacal laugh thing. Sure. And it was a comedy and we were playing it up and, and I even got to stand, I even got to stand there dressed in a black suit with a tie and a sword. It's just, I mean, it was, I mean, it was so, it was over the top. It was very silly. Um, but I got to do the maniacal laugh. And the best part was, is that we just kept rolling and I just kept laughing and you just, we held on it too long. And that was the joke. Sure. And then I started coughing. Because of course you can only laugh so far before you, you're, you're and th- like that actually made voice. it into the film. It was the long laugh and then just the you know because um, it was it it was unplanned but it timed out pretty perfectly. Um, you get a chance to do that sort of stuff, and you get there's a lot of I mean you Alan Rickman popping up there from you know I, I, we miss Alan Rickman too, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the thing is is that this is a guy who American audiences knew him as the villain and you know you've got you've got you know die hard and it's like everyone's like alan rickman he's the best bad guy ever and then he does the sheriff of nottingham and you're like alan rickman is the only reason to see this movie (laughs) and (laughs) and and then you sit there and realize that the same time he's over here making truly madly deeply which is essentially it, it's it's in the same story space as Ghost, That's right? Romance. It's a very different kind of movie, 
Um, but it's a romantic comedy that's really sad, and he's so good in that movie. And you you don't you it's like this is he's he's a Shakespearean actor who's doing you know part of part of the joke in Galaxy Quest is that Alan Rickman is kind of playing himself in a couple of those moments in the film. He's like, yeah. I'm a trained Shakespearean actor, and this is what I'm known for. Um, and you know, but the thing is, is that, you know, the opportunity comes along and you get to play these characters and do these crazy things. I don't blame any of these actors for getting involved if, you know, any filmmaker comes along and says, you know, hey, I want to do this. It's a part you've never played before. I want you, Burt Reynolds, to play the king. And Burt Reynolds is going to go, all right. Why you know? not? I mean... If you're gonna if 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 you feel compelled to watch these movies, um, there's three films in the name of the king. Skip, what? Well, skip all of them. But if you must watch them, watch the first one because it's got this great cast in it, hmm. and it I, is. I wonder if any of them are on Amazon Prime for a Twitch watch party. <laughs> <laughs> it would not surprise me. Oh. It would not surprise me. But I mean, the, the you know the Ray Liotta is not who you would cast as an evil sorcerer, but he is clearly enjoying himself. I would not cast him to play this part, but he's clearly having a good time. Didn't Peter McNichol take Ghostbusters two because of the chance to play this over the top type of character? I, I want to say that I read that somewhere. Probably. I mean, it, it would make sense. But um, at what point do you think it became almost a badge of honor to be in an Uwe Boll movie? Um, I don't know that it necessarily did. <laughs> I mean, it, I think that... It's a small um, fraternity of performers there, though. Well, yeah, but I think that, again, we come back to, you know, some of these folks probably do had bills to pay. Mm -hmm. um, um, as I think some of them are probably going through kind of slumps in, in their careers or things where they weren't necessarily getting the parts they want. And, and you look at some, you know, some of these actors, you know, they want to work whether they're getting the parts they want or not. And, yeah. and they'll take jobs because they got to they got to eat. You know, Michael Caine famously says that the reason he's been in so many movies, some of them really, really bad, is that he grew up poor. And even though he has plenty of money, he was always afraid that he'd end up poor again. And that's just his mindset. Yeah. Um, I did want to mention real quickly, actors who don't get a chance to play the roles. Alan Alda, a million years ago, 1992, was in a film called Whispers in the Dark. Spoiler alert, Alan Alda is the bad guy. And there is a scene in the film which is the most disturbing thing I had seen up till that point in my life, probably. Yeah. Which is Alan Alda hitting someone in the face with a wine bottle. Not as a joke, not as Hawkeye doing a bit. Yeah. It was literally he stands there reaches over grabs the bottle and smashes it into the person's face it's a, it's a beautifully shot moment of violence and it's alan alda 
and a little part of you dies inside <laughs> <laughs> because it's Alan Alda, right? Yeah. I mean, and the fact is, nobody was casting Alan Alda as the bad guy. Well, so Alan Alda's like, you know, people get typecast. Yeah, and so yeah. so he's another. It's, it's an opportunity for him to do something that people yeah. weren't going to ask him to do. Robert asks, "Why are we speaking in past tense? Is Uve still producing?" That's actually that's that's where we started here. I think mm-hmm. Robert, Robert came in late, but Uve Bull, yes, he was retired for a while, but he's back doing a new a new film uh, about Elliot Ness, uh, but not based on a video game, and not based on a video game. And and here's the thing: is that That might not be a bad thing for him. Yeah, I mean, he's basically redefining himself. And, and this is this is the story uh, later in Elliot Ness's career. This is Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Ness is the title of the film. Picks up the story in Elliot Ness's career as he tries to catch a serial killer known as the Butcher of Kingsbury Run, responsible for a number of grisly murders in Cleveland's Kingsbury Run shantytown. Whitney Scott Bain wrote the screenplay basing the story on the true life case. Bull plans to direct and produce through his event film shingle. Michael Resch, executive producing, Bull says he's currently casting the film, plans to begin principal photography in 2023. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's where we're at as far as that goes. He's, he's reviving his career. And I, and I agree with you. I think it's a good uh, it's good that he's not doing a video game right out of the gate. Because there are certain expectations when you see that Uwe Boll's making a movie based on a video game. And they're not high yeah, at all. MS makes a point. Uh, ben Kingsley is another who makes good films and horrible films, but at least they stay in viewers' minds and he keeps getting work, which I think is a big reason for choosing bad roles. The other thing, too, and uh, this, was, this is something that I had heard for both uh, Clint Eastwood and I believe Kevin Spacey was, was in this group too. There are some actors who have their passion projects. Mm-hmm. They have their thing. This is, this is the movie that I really want to make. Right. And maybe not commercially viable. It may not be the same. You know, the studio looks at it and goes, we're not going to make any money off of this, but you really want to make this movie so you know the deal is and and clint eastwood has actually said this in interviews Mm -hmm. i do this job over here and i do these movies over here so that then i can go and do this movie so whether it's i do this for the money so i can finance my own film or it could very well be is okay i'll do this film if you finance this film Right. And those well, deals at, get made all the time, right? And and you look at you look at uh, someone like Kingsley, <clears throat> you know, he does stage work too. Going off and, and making all these different movies, sometimes this may come as a surprise to you uh, out there in the world, but stage gigs don't pay necessarily as well <laughs> as movie gigs. Yeah, um, and. And so, and and they require often just as long as that actor's, as just as long as an investment of time for that actor um, to to work on that project. Because there's you know sometimes in, in the sometimes there can be months of rehearsals before you even hit the stage for a live audience. Right. Um, but yeah, some a lot of a lot of folks take gigs so that they can finance whether it's their passion project 
Um, they can it can they can finance you know whether it's just you know paying their mortgage, uh, but you know or go off and, and do the the theater gig they want to do. Yeah. You know because they're not necessarily going to make money on it, or or they're not going to make enough money that it's going to be like you know okay great I paid my rent this month but. Yeah. Christopher says, I came in a bit late. I saw the name Ness briefly. I just assumed it was going to be a Loch Ness Monster movie. You know, funny funny you should say that, Christopher, because I had that same thought. Right. When I well, saw what, Uwe what Boll, you would expect. Ness, I thought, oh, here we go. What is this? And because, it's what you would expect from him. It uh, is, based it on is. based on his previous stuff. But again, you look at the you look at the early state part of his career and you have so many of these adaptations, these fantasy movies, these horror films. Um and because they never had huge budgets you often had poor effects work you had often had poor um you weren't necessarily casting the right people you weren't putting in the right costumes you weren't putting in the right sets yeah. it was it, it's low but it's a low budget filmmaking and and some cases you're like talking 10 or 15 million dollars and yes honest 10 to 15 million dollars is still low budget filmmaking um for some especially if you're doing a fantasy epic you know oh, yeah. you gotta have but um the the later part even though there's some some video games here the, the part basically before he you know gave it up for a while well you mentioned um, rampage i mean the the stuff the non-video game movies that he's made seem to have played better in terms of the critical reaction and the people looking at it going oh well you know this actually is not as bad, mm -hmm. not necessarily good, but you know, not as bad as this video game stuff. And it could very well be that you know this this being a a crime thriller. Who knows? Well, you know, the thing is, is that not everyone is not everyone is good at telling certain kinds of stories. That's just a thing. <laughs> There are some there are some filmmakers who should never do romance films because they just don't have the temperament to make you believe in a relationship between two people that, you know, is going to capture your heart and give you that feeling. Right. And there are some folks who can't do action. They just don't have they don't have the sensibility for it. It's and that's nothing wrong with that. OK, we've all got we've all got our strengths. Uh, if you're if you're a storyteller, there are certain stories that you can tell well and there are mm -hmm. certain stories you can't. And that's not a bad thing. It's just where we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And then on top of that, you you make something where it's got a fan base. Right? Yeah, right. So if you... Video games, video games have a long history of, of having low expectations for a film that is going to be good video it's 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 unfortunate that but it's true i mean the list of bad video game movies is very long outside of bull's work right he's yeah. not the only person who's made who's who's made bad video game films but he has reached a point where it's almost like here's the bad video game films and here's Bull's bad video game films, right? Yeah. It's it's almost a thing where if you're going to watch that, the only reason you're going to watch that movie is if you want to watch a train wreck, or you <laughs> want to get angry about, or you want to get angry about the thing that you care about being mishandled. 
I I sit sometimes, um, and I ha- I haven't done this in a while. But there was there was a period of time in my life where I I came to. I came to the realization it was a very hard thing for me to accept that my film career was never going to really take off and I was done as a filmmaker. And for a for a for a little while it was difficult for me to go into the movies because you know I'd go to a movie I remember sitting through one of the Thor films. I want to say it was the first one. It might have been the second one, but I was there by myself, and I remember sitting at the end credits, say, sitting there thinking, "I'm never going to be able to do this." And if it was it, Thor two, then I saw that in the theater by myself too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's sitting there and seeing all these all these people that were working on these films, knowing that I that was that was what I wanted to do, and. One of these days, maybe we do a sci-fi for me original film, <laughs> but I don't you know. know. I, 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 as much as as much as I could say that there's a part of me that would like to make films professionally all the time, yeah. Um, because I do really love being on set. And I didn't, that's that's not something I I got into making movies in my thirties. I mean, so I came into it. I, I, I was a book dealer for 15 years. I mean, it's, you know, I didn't start making movies till I moved to Kansas city in 2005. And so I, I've never had this, like, I'm going to go off and, and, you know, this, this is my life now. Yeah. Um, I, I, I came into it too late, really. I think for that in, in my case. And, as much as I would love the opportunity to go off and, and get paid to make more movies and, and do that sort of thing, um, it, more than anything, the reason I want to get back into making them, because I have had my own break from making films, because yeah. um, I have a good time. That's only the only reason I do it at this. I'm doing it at this point is because uh, I enjoy it. But I'm never. I'm. I'm not. It's not going to turn into a, a career at this point in my life. I'm going to well, be 52. You, know, you in never a know. Week. You never know. I mean, how okay. how long in did fairness, it take? How long did it take Abraham Lincoln to get to get successful in his career? In in fairness, Lance Hendrickson, of course, yep. gigantic genre star, right? Um, did not become a successful actor until he was in his late forties. Well, you mentioned Alan Rickman before. I mean, Die Hard was his first movie, and he was how old at that point? He was what in oh, his yeah. mid forties, late forties. Yeah, he's. He's and again. He had a perfectly, you know, acceptable career on British television and and stage. And he wasn't he wasn't hurting for for being a. Uh, uh, actually, he brought the house down. Really. Yeah. My Sorry, uh, my my film ambitions began when I was younger. When, you know, you talk about getting into it late. I I saw when I was in college the first time. Uh, in 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 the in the long before days, I saw the restored Lawrence of Arabia on on screen in a theater. When they had done it, it was an anniversary special, and they had re, remixed everything, 
and Peter O'Toole and Alec Guinness and Omar Sharif had all come in and re-recorded dialogue and they had they had done the the new digital remix and everything mm-hmm. and restored the print and, and all all this stuff. It was just pristine, gorgeous film. I saw that. I saw The Untouchables. And I said, I got to make movies. But not The Untouchables. Silverado. So I got to make movies. My biggest ambition at the time was to make the definitive version of the Lone Ranger for his 100th anniversary, mm. which would be in uh, a few years from now. I, I, I figured I would be 67. So I had a career trajectory here. And I had it all mm. planned. I didn't know what I was doing from here to here, but the the idea was because you know, a hundred years old, you know, the Lone Ranger has been around all these years, you know, and, and I thought, okay, I want to make the 100th anniversary film, the definitive Lawrence of Arabia version of the Lone Ranger. I, my title sequence, even at the beginning of the movie, you know, cause, cause the big movies have the overtures, right? Sure. Right. So you have to have the William Tell overture in this thing, right? So the way until overture is 17 minutes long. And I had the entire sequence planned out as the beginning of the film. It was brilliant. And the horse. If you don't say it to yourself. Well, I, it was, it was, you know, cause, cause basically what it, what it would have done is, you know, it takes, it establishes all of the setup. Hmm. Where we are, small town, West Texas, all these different things. Butch Cabbage, you know, the 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 night on Bald Mountain ver- part of the thing, you know, the the thunders and crashes and da 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 da. Right. Yeah. Well, that's when we introduced Butch Cavendish and his gang. It's this big montage of everything, right? And when we get to the Lone Ranger theme with the trumpet, that's when we introduce Silver who's leading this pack of wild horses across the, it was, it was oh, I had, I had everything planned out and I'm never going to be able to do it. Now I will say this makes me and, and for, for, for the, you know, give me super chats. Let me make the Lone Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That, that's a lot of super chats. I think, um, uh, cause you don't want to do it with no budget. Horses right. are expensive. Yes. Um, but, um, just perspective. I mean, I was an actor through high school and college, and then I was a book dealer that I got a graphic design degree and that I freelanced a little bit, but I was mostly a book dealer for 15 years. And then I started making movies mm-hmm. and now I have a job where I'm using my graphic design degree all the time. So things can change and, and plans can circle back around. And I mean, strictly speaking, I'm currently a professional graphic designer. Um, I'm using my degree and everything. Um, it's it's kind of crazy that there was a thirty year gap, but <laughs> on a professional level. But the thing is, is that you can that can happen, and you yeah. can find yourself doing stuff. And if if I get the opportunity to to direct a feature film, I don't see that being likely. But if I did get the opportunity, I would certainly not immediately refuse if if we ever if we ever get to a point where we're making low budget original films 
for this channel. I'll flip a coin with you, and we'll figure out who's going to direct it. And we'll, we'll just trade off. Y'all do one, you do the next one, I'll do the next one, you do the next one. Do if we were to ever get the budget and I was to make a horror film for us, um, I do have that feature script I wrote. And, uh, the That uh, um, our friend Jeff um, Chitty was originally going to direct way mm. back when. Yeah. And um, now I've done the math we would have to have $200,000 to make that film. And that's the low end of the budget. Cause there's, it's a road movie <laughs> and they're your budget. It's, it's just, it's like getting horses folks. Yeah. Once you start driving around, driving and, and filming your budget goes up. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, devil's devil's fork is, is a, a feature script, a feature horror film that, that I wrote that never is never going to get made. Um, never say never. Did, well, I, it's super, unlikely. Super chats, and, people. Super chats. Give us money and we'll make movies. And I would rewrite <laughs> it at this point just because, A, it's been a decade. Yeah. More than a decade since I, since I, you know, I'm, I'm a better writer now than I was a decade ago. Um, I, I like to think anyway. Um, and, you know, I'd want to, I want to make changes to it and hopefully make it better. Um, but, you know, I think in fairness, Yeah. 200 yeah exactly yeah, 200, it, it, it's a, it is but here's the thing here's the thing folks and and we we're talking we keep we we said you know oh we're not doing this we can't do this and, but here's the thing we actually are pretty lucky jason and i in that we live in a city that you could actually make a feature film in this town yeah. with the people with the talent in this town and you could do it for a lot less than you could do it in a lot of other places. I'm not, I'm not talking in like, you know, even going to places like LA where it's going to be more expensive. I mean, it's cheaper to make a movie in Kansas city than it is in Vancouver. And that of course is a huge movie making location. Yeah. And a lot but, of that has to do with the fact that we don't have to pay for permits and fees and, and all that other stuff. In addition to you right. know, ev everything else that they've got, you know, teamsters and that kind of <laughs> Emma says we couldn't be any worse at Uwe Bull. Challenge accepted. No. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no. And, and and now you know we've talked about we've talked about doing the print magazine over on Indiegogo. Mm -hmm. I mean, Indiegogo and Kickstarter are viable options, not for Uwe Bull, but you know, crowdfunding stuff like that. You, you, right. you know, yeah. maybe we start small with a couple of short films and 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 see what see what we can see. But we actually have to put a campaign together, and then we have to actually make something, and then we have to have to have time to do it right yeah so. and that's and that and that is i think for a lot of a lot of folks on the independent side of things that often can be a hard thing is is time because yeah. on the independent side of things and and bull right now you know he's got a restaurant business to fall back on so good for him um but uh we have to pay bills and i i have told mindy that if if things don't work out with her job with the federal government uh, our backup plan is to open up a used bookstore. I'm still thinking about um, it. I, I made some. I made some acquisitions this week on uh, on some some comic books, and and I got I got some copies of Creepy Magazine. Out of all of that mess, I uh, I, I spent five years as a used book dealer. I love the used book world. I really really enjoyed um, that that experience as a, in, in business and 
if uh, it, it teaches you to really appreciate a lot of the genres you don't read. Yeah. Uh, uh, says uh, we should make a video game horror film. We couldn't be worse than, any, than Bull. We pick a, pick a horror video game, pitch it, and then make whatever movie we want. <laughs> no <laughs> we'll, kidding. We'll just keep the title, right? That's kind of what he did. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is that for all the fact, these are not good movies. I think, again, it's important to remind people that once again, there's a reason he has a poor reputation as a filmmaker. Um, the fact is, is that he actually had a pretty solid run. Yeah. He, he had a couple of decades where he was doing well enough yep. to keep making movies. And in fairness, that's that, that not says too something. bad. Yeah. But that's also said House of the Dead is garbage. I mean, it's a terrible movie, guys. It's terrible. <laughs> but Alone in the Dark is worse. And there's a sequel to Alone in the Dark. By you the know, way, we couldn't we couldn't do worse. Again, challenge is that a challenge? <laughs> we we should we should we should maybe well, I don't know. That's that's a conversation for another day. I will I tell you I tell you what. I would love just because I'm a fan of the game and they have, they have done a good movie and they've done a bad movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It would not break my heart to get my hands on the silent Hill franchise Mm -hmm. because it's got all the great visual creepy stuff that I really, really like. And it's got a rich mythology that you can play with and you don't have to play with all of it. You can play with parts of it. And um, I think I saw some some article I didn't read. I, I just saw the headline. Again, I didn't get a chance to dive into it. Um, the um, the idea being that the UK would be a place to set Silent Hill. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's got the same kind of I mean, the Silent Hill is based on a specific uh, town in in the U.S. for a reason, uh, but there's places in the U.K. that have the same kind of history, if not that exact circumstance. Right. But I'm like, yeah, I would love to play in that space. There's a, there's a couple of filmmakers here in town who do Sherlock Holmes movies. Yeah, there's they film them in Kansas City. There's and a they, uh, there's a a series of books that I would love to get my hands on uh, to adapt as films there's four of them it's the last legionary series mm-hmm. by douglas hill and they're juveniles they're they're like heinlein juveniles and it's mm-hmm. this this guy who is they're they're space police okay so mm-hmm. it's like uh kind of kind of like a mix of of the green lantern core and Oh, uh, what would be a good analogy? Um, well, basically, like Green Lantern Corps, but they don't have rings. They they've got ships and and, and that right. kind of thing. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like kind of like colonial colonial warriors, right? And he's the last one because there's this warlord that has attacked his planet, his home planet, with radiation bombs. And he's he's the last one to survive. He's the only one that survives. And even then, he's exposed. So he's dying, but slower. And mm-hmm. he makes it his life's mission to take however much time he's got left to find this warlord, this galactic warlord, and, you know, 
have his have his revenge. And he ends up getting uh, getting uh, caught up in this uh, plan. They cure him. They replace his skeleton with almost like adamantium. It's mm-hmm. unbreakable. And he's got this telepathic sidekick bird-like creature that's with... I mean, you'd have to do some CG stuff. But it was it, it's a fun series of books. I thought this would make a this would make a fun low budget sci-fi movie, you know, and there's four of them. You can make a whole series out of them. So, yeah, we we should make a list. We should make a list of the things what we want to adapt and, and say, okay, let's go get some money. Right. <laughs> it's easily let's, got. I've got. Uh, I think I've got what uh, twenty dollars in crypto. So let's 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 go to it. <laughs> Do you still have twenty dollars in crypto? Uh, based me, on the last. Uh, I don't even know based what. On the last few weeks. Let's see what. I, no, wait, 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 wait. Um. Let's see. What do I have here? Approximately eleven dollars and fifteen cents U.S. in this in this one crypto wallet that I've got. Um, I haven't done anything with. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with this. So, um, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> anyway, all cash, right. Cash it out now before it becomes five dollars in crypto. Right. That's 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 not a lie. Okay. That's going to do it for us. Speaking of money, uh, if anybody wants to give us some, we do have a PayPal tip jar. We've got a Subscribestar account where uh, I, I eventually one of these days I will update something. We've got a newsletter you can sign up for. There's all our social media. We are on 10 different accounts. <sighs> and, and we shouldn't be on so many, but... It keeps any. It keeps people from hijacking the brand. That, that's my. That's my excuse. So anyway, all right. So that's going to do it for us this week. Next weekend uh, is is Memorial Day, so we want to take. A, I, I don't know if we're going to do a show or not. I think maybe we won't. Um, I'm not sure. I, we have to discuss that off off camera. So so we will let you know. So. Pay attention to the socials. We'll let you know if we got a show next week or not. So in the meantime, uh, feel free to check out any of the rest of the videos we've got. Be a friend. Share the links. Tell people about us. And uh, and we'll be back with more later. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Good night, everybody. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.